Let's pray together. Father, thank you for calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light. We were once not a people. We weren't your people. And now we're the people of God. We had not been shown mercy, and now we have received mercy. And so we give you thanks for your work of grace through the cross and resurrection of Christ, your work of grace in our hearts to embrace Christ as our only hope. And thank you now that we can say, if you're for us, who can be against us? And that nothing can separate us from your love, that tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword can't separate us from you. That death or life or angels or principalities or things present or things to come or powers or height nor death or any other created thing would be able to separate us from your love in Christ Jesus. So thank you for these great and precious promises. We need them to be a rock under our feet. We want to know them and believe them with our hearts and walk with you. I pray for anyone who doesn't know you, does not have confidence of sins forgiven and eternal life. Lord, would you open their blind eyes to see Jesus as the one and only Savior. Would you bring them out of darkness into your light? Set them free. Make them whole. Do everything you've done for many of us bring them into a relationship with you. Lord, as we open your word, I pray you'd give us grace to hear what we might not want to hear and that it would be there when we need it. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Our text for today was written by a man who had suffered for his faith. And it is designed to encourage believers as they experience various levels of persecution. Maybe you've already had a small taste of that. Maybe you're nervous about the possibility, if not probability, that more is coming. And so these words from God's book (laughs) will help us. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4 as we continue our study in this New Testament letter, 1 Peter chapter 4. (coughs) First, we are called to expect persecution. Look at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. To persecute means to harass or punish in a manner designed to injure, grieve, or afflict, specifically to cause to suffer because of belief. 
Persecution comes in various forms and different levels of intensity. It could be a negative comment made to you or about you. It might be an awkwardness or a coldness in some relationships. Or maybe being passed over for some job opportunity in other parts of the world. It can mean losing a job or time spent in jail or physical harm or even death. And Peter tells us we should not be surprised when those kinds of things happen to us. Suffering for the sake of Christ is not a strange or unusual thing. It's something we should expect as followers of Christ who suffered himself. There's other verses in the New Testament that remind us of that reality. Turn to John chapter 15, beginning at verse 18. John 15. Jesus says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Or go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 and 30. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. For to you it has been granted, which means given as a free gift, not only to believe in him, so faith is a free gift, but also to suffer for his sake. Experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So we've been granted to suffer for Christ's sake. First Thessalonians chapter 3. First Thessalonians chapter 3 beginning at verse 2. We sent Timothy our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. Why? So that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know, Two other texts, 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And 1 John 3.13, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. So if we're reading the New Testament, persecution should not catch us off guard as if we had no idea something like that was even possible. It's just there over and over in text after text. And if we read church history, we'll see that suffering for the faith has been the experience of many believers over the years. So this is a quote from John Piper. For most of the world and for most of history, being a Christian has not been safe. 
Stephen Neal in his History of Christian Missions says that in the first three centuries, every Christian knew that sooner or later he might have to testify to his faith at the cost of his life. Dr. Piper says, just think of it. Imagine doing evangelism in a context where you could not make any promises to people that things would go better for them on earth. Pause. Know your best life now. But that if they believed what you offered, they would be risking their lives. That was normal in the context of this letter of First Peter and in most of the places of the world, most of the time, including today. But Peter doesn't just tell us to expect persecution or even just endure it when it comes. He says in verse 13, back in First Peter 4, but, instead of being surprised by it, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, Keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Peter modeled that kind of response to suffering in Acts chapter 5. By this time in the book, Peter has already been in jail twice. He's been warned and threatened to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. Toward the end of chapter 5, the leaders were talked out of killing the apostles and settled for simply having them flogged or scourged, which means to be beaten with a leather whip on bare skin, which was an extremely painful and very shameful form of public punishment. So look at Acts 5.41. Acts 5.41. So... They went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. But it's not just Peter and other apostles who rejoice when suffering for the name. A few years ago in Turkey, which is the part of the world that Peter's writing this letter, Um, this is an article I found Headline, Turkey's mistreatment of Christians becoming more brazen, persecution worsening. And this is from Istanbul. And I'll just read the story to you. Bektas Erdogan received a phone call from his employer asking him to come to work on a Sunday afternoon. But that evening at the shop, his supervisor angrily accused him of, quote, missionary work and brainwashing. And with the help of two employees and a relative, he beat Erdogan for two hours. The men repeatedly struck the designer's head and face with their fists and the butt of a pistol. His co-workers released the 32-year-old Erdogan with a swollen and bloody face around 9 o'clock, warning that they would kill him later. Since then, he has received three anonymous phone calls threatening his life. Despite ongoing death threats, Erdogan has no plans to leave the country. When asked how he felt about losing his job, Enduring a severe beating and being threatened with death, he smiled and said, God tells me to rejoice because he can bring glory to his name. Verses 14 through 16 back in First Peter 4. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, 
You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. So we could summarize those verses. If we are persecuted for the right reason and not for the wrong reasons, we are blessed and it is an opportunity to glorify God. Let's start with some wrong reasons. Verse 15 says, Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Peter Spakel is saying, It's not persecution if we suffer negative consequences for doing foolish or wrong things, including meddling in other people's business. So there's no like, Oh, I'm taking one for the team. I'm such a martyr for Christ. If you're just doing something foolish or wrong. But if you're reviled for the name of Christ, if you're insulted because of your allegiance to Jesus, when people call you names or say nasty things to you or about you because of Christ, we're blessed, truly happy in the fullest sense of the word. It's very similar to what Peter heard Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5. If you want to turn to the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Matthew 5, verse 10. Jesus says, Blessed, truly happy in the fullest sense of the word, are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Peter adds another reason why we should consider ourselves blessed when this kind of thing happens. He says at the end of 14, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. In other words, we will experience the presence of God in a powerful way at such times. God will draw especially near when we're suffering for his name. When John Bunyan refused to stop preaching the gospel, he was sent to jail for 12 years. During his time in a jail, which was not nice, clean, or pleasant, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. George Whitfield wrote of this classic book, quote, It Smells of the Prison. It was written when the author was confined in Bedford Jail, and ministers never write or preach so well as when they are under the cross. The Spirit of Christ and of glory then rest upon them. Verse 16 tells us not to be ashamed to suffer as a Christian. In other words, don't be ashamed because you're suffering something negative as one identified as a follower of Christ. Shame is a powerful awareness of being in the wrong. 
a consciousness of something improper. Peter's saying, there's nothing shameful about suffering as a Christian. There isn't anything wrong or improper about that. Don't be embarrassed about suffering for your allegiance to Jesus. Instead, glorify God in this name. In other words, call attention to the greatness and the worthiness of God. With the goal that others would see and honor him as the great and glorious God that he is. So, just as we were singing, I was reminded, remember, Jesus tells Peter, they're going to take you where you don't want to go, and you're going to spread out your hands, and then John clarifies, by this he was telling him, by what death he would glorify God. So, Peter was crucified for his faith in Jesus. Tradition has it upside down, doesn't matter, it's still awful either way. But there's a way to glorify God when you're dying by crucifixion. And there's a way to glorify God when you're suffering as a Christian. And so, an example of that, honoring God in the midst of suffering for the faith, is Hebrews chapter 10. And I'd invite you to turn to that passage. Hebrews chapter 10. Beginning at verse 32. But remember the former days when after being enlightened you endured a great conflict of sufferings. He's going to describe how they suffered. Partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations. And partly by becoming sharers with those who were so Treated. For example, you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. So notice how these believers respond to the seizure or the plundering of their property. They're not angry about how unfair it is. They're not nervous or fearful about the future. Now what do I do? I don't have this stuff anymore. They're not even just stoically resigning themselves. Well, what are we going to do? Nothing we can do about it. They joyfully accepted that their stuff had been taken away. So how is that even possible? Why could they respond like that? And it's the answer is right in the text. It's because they know something about the possession they have. It's a better possession and a lasting possession. It's better than anything the world offers or anything that the world has taken away, which they did. And it's longer lasting than anything this world can give. 
Doesn't that sound like Psalm 73? That's what it reminded me of. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. Or Psalm 16. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance. I have no good besides you. We sang this morning, having thee I possess all. Identifying with Christ and his people was more important to these believers than their safety or their possessions. They showed by their behavior and how they responded to this persecution that they that the Lord was more precious to them than their stuff or their reputation. He is their better and lasting possession. And by showing that God is supremely valuable to us, that if we have him, we have everything we need, no matter what is taken away from us, we honor him as the all-sufficient, all-satisfying God that he is. And that glorifies God. We're to do everything. To the glory of God. We talked about that last Sunday, didn't we? The use of our gifts that we've been entrusted with to serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God is to be done so that God may be glorified in all things. And then we went to 1 Corinthians 10.31 that whether you eat or drink or suffer persecution for the sake of the name, do all for the glory of God. Verse 17 and 18 back in First Peter. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? So Peter is borrowing here from Ezekiel, Malachi, and Proverbs to say that judgment is coming. It's starting in a purifying, refining way for his people and will prove unbearable for those who do not obey the gospel of God, the good news of God's complete remedy in Christ for our complete ruin in sin. And when it says with difficulty, that does not mean it's hard for God to rescue us. I hope you knew that already. It wasn't a struggle for God to pull this off. Jeremiah 32, 30, 27 says, I am the Lord, is anything too difficult for me? And the answer is no, including rescuing my people. So the eternal destiny of believers is settled. But the road to heaven has many difficulties, to borrow from John Newton. It's through many dangers and toils and snares that we go through this world to the heavenly city. Which is simply what Paul says in Acts 14, if you want to turn to that. Acts 14, 21 and 22. Acts 14, 21 after they had preached the gospel, this good news, to that city and had made many disciples, which is the Great Commission, go make disciples. 
They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. What were they doing? Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That's the road. That's the road that we're on. Many difficulties. Don't be surprised. But what about those sobering questions in those verses? How do you answer, what will be the outcome for those who don't obey the gospel? What will become of the godless man and the sinner? A lot of people would answer, I don't anticipate any big problem. I'm I'm going to a better place. Every funeral I go to tells me everybody goes to a better place. So I'm, I'm good. That's not how the Bible answers that question. The Bible says, those who don't obey the gospel, those who are godless and sinners, will be separated from God forever in a place called hell. I did the Sparky's devotional this past week. I have kindergartners, first, second graders. And I asked basically that same question. What happens if we don't do everything that God calls us to do or do things that God says not to do? And these little people just jump right in and said, they go to hell. They get it. I wonder how many other people get it. Do you get it? So, well done to the parents who are raising your kids so they understand that already at the ripe age of five to seven or whatever that is. Not everybody senses that danger. I think I know I've shared it before, but talked to my physical therapist. We got into talking about spiritual things. And at one point we talked about hell, which is an interesting conversation to get into with your physical therapist. And I said, does that concern you? And she said, I guess it should. Hell is real. Jesus talks about it a lot. It's forever and it's irreversible. There's no second chance. And if God is showing you this morning, your soul's in danger of that destiny. First acknowledge, I am, I'm one of those people that those verses describe me. I am godless. Not in the way we usually use the word, but in the sense of I leave God out of my life. He has no real influence at all in how I live or how I make decisions or what I do. I'm godless. And I'm a sinner. I failed to do what God requires. Ecclesiastes 7.20, which is one of the verses we shared with those sparks. Besides the obvious one, all of sin and false are the glory of God. They know that verse. That's a sparks verse. Ecclesiastes 7.20. Indeed, there's not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. So all of us are in this danger of, I've fallen short of doing what God requires. I've fallen short of the glory of God. I deserve that destiny. 
So repent of ignoring God. Repent of disobeying God. Turn from hoping you can be good enough or do enough to make things right with God. That's impossible. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, By grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Trust Christ alone to do everything necessary to restore you to God. Believe his death is the only answer to this problem of sin. We had this debt we cannot pay and literally could never pay off in hell. And Jesus paid that debt in full on the cross. And he rose again to show the work of salvation had been accomplished completely and is now available as a free gift to be received by faith. And so Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but, but, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. It's free. It's through Christ. And so believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, rescued. So back to First Peter, verse 19 is Peter's conclusion and application of what he's been saying in these verses. Therefore, so that's our clue. Here's his summary. Here's his application in light of what I've just been saying. Those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So first of all, notice suffering is according to God's will. We saw that in 3.17, but Peter says it again. In 3.17, he says, It's better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what's right rather than for doing what's wrong. So it's God's will that happens. It's not a fluke. It's not just people. It's ultimately God's will. And here he's saying it again. God is sovereign over all things. Ephesians 1.11 says, He works all things according to the counsel of His will, including suffering, persecution, or any other kind of suffering is under His control, including how intense it is and how long it lasts. This morning... We sang a song that was new to many of us, but it was written back in 1777. It's been around a long time. But did you, were you catching what we were singing? All my times are in your hand, all events at your command. All must come and last and end as shall please my heavenly friend. What a truckload of comfort and encouragement in that song. God is the one orchestrating it. God is the one that has a plan for this. God knows exactly why and when and how long and how bad and when it ends everything. Because we know that, we are to entrust our souls to a faithful creator. We saw that language back in 1 Peter 2.23. Remember? Talking about Jesus suffering while 
He was suffering. He uttered no threats. But what did he do? He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So we're to follow the example of Jesus and entrust ourselves to God specifically as a faithful creator. To entrust simply means to commit something to someone for safe keeping. We entrust our money to the bank to keep it safe. We entrust our health to a doctor to do what's best for our physical well-being. We entrust our kids to a sitter to take good care of them. We entrust our souls to God for safe keeping. Because he is a faithful creator. So he's the creator of all things, which means he has almighty power. Remember Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. So our creator is almighty and he is faithful, absolutely faithful, completely trustworthy. He always keeps his promises. So let's go to one of those. Luke 21. Luke 21. You might not need this this week. But in my lifetime or my kids' lifetime or maybe my grandkids' lifetime, you really might need to hang on for dear life to these verses. Look at Luke 21, starting at verse 16. You will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name. Yet, not a hair of your head will perish. In other words, be prepared to be hated by everybody. Be ready to be harmed and even killed. But ultimately, no harm will befall you. Your soul is safe forever. So it doesn't matter what they do. The body they may kill. God's truth abides still. Let goods and kindred go. All they can do is kill you or me. And send us to Jesus forever. So that's a promise from Jesus. And Peter's encouraging those who are already suffering and those who are going to suffer even more. And trust your souls to a faithful creator who will be able to keep that promise and guard your soul through whatever it has to go through and bring you all the way to heaven. You may be thinking, well, I'm not really, that's not where I'm worried about this week. Okay, I get that. I believe this text, it doesn't just say, let those who are persecuted entrust their souls to a faithful creator. It just says, let those who suffer according to the will of God. So any kind of suffering is on the table because all suffering is under God's sovereignty. So, Here's another way of application that this person that sent me the text on Tuesday didn't even know I was going to do this text. 
But I got this text on Tuesday. Quote, I have been struggling with some depression related to, and then the name of their wayward teenager, and work. But the Lord has been faithful and has been lifting me up by reminding me of his promises and his faithfulness. So there it is. It's not just get ready to go to jail and hang on to that. Probably not happen this week. But a wayward kid, stress at work, health stuff, waiting on a biopsy or knowing what the biopsy said, not good, or all kinds of physical health stuff could make us nervous. What do we do? We entrust our souls to a faithful creator. Whatever we're facing, whether it's persecution or some other kind of suffering, we can trust our faithful creator to be with us and to give us the grace we will need when we need it, knowing the grace will always be sufficient for every situation. So maybe that's a good note to end on is, I know I can get nervous, you know, if I read stuff in Voice of the Martyrs or Church History, it's like, yikes. I don't know if I would hang in there the way those guys did. I'm not brave. I don't like pain. And guess what? If that's not what God has called me to do today, then I don't have grace today to do it. So of course I'm going to be nervous. But if that day is to come in my life or your life, the grace will be there when we need it, not before. So if these kind of texts make you unsettled, that's okay, because God will give you the grace when you need it. So let's pray. Oh, Father, <laughs> we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you that we can know you as a faithful creator. And Lord, we gladly entrust our souls to you. There's no one else we would want to try to keep our souls. Thank you for your promise to be with us every day. Thank you for your promise to give us strength according to each day's need. Lord, if we have an easy day today, we have an easy day's amount of strength. If we have a hard day, you give us strength for a hard day. If we have a day of great suffering, you'll give us strength for a day like that. I think we can depend on you and your strength and not ourselves and our own strength. And Lord, again, we pray for anyone who is not ready to face the future in terms of standing before you as a holy judge, or that you would alert them, awaken them from their danger, grant them to believe in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Before we sing our last song, I want to read a few verses that will help us appreciate how helpful these lyrics are. This is in Matthew 24. 
Matthew 24, starting in verse 9, they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise and mislead many because of lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. And verses like that might make you go, well, I make it to the end if things get rough. And the good news is, yes, because he keeps us. And so we're going to stand and sing that. He will hold me fast. Let's stand and sing that together.